0: My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock Whether it's at work or at home, how you interact with those around you plays a huge role in how you rate your well-being. Are you running around putting out fires, reacting to whatever pops up in the moment while never finding time for the more important things? Or are you instead calmly observing the situation and the circumstances around you and responding in a thoughtful, constructive way and prioritizing your top values? Well, if you find yourself in the former camp, like most people do, reacting rather than responding, then today's guest is going to help you flip that script and improve the way that you both work and live. Jason Barger is a globally celebrated author, speaker, consultant, and a thought leader. He was a tremendous asset to me while I was directing and producing my documentary film, Go Far, The Christopher Rush Story. And he is committed to strengthening leadership, culture, vision, and values using his six-step framework that he calls the six A's. And in our conversation today, we're going to talk all about how you can use that framework to develop collaborative teams and more positive work cultures, as well as fostering deeper professional and personal relationships using what he calls his thermostat culture approach. Listen, if you are tired of working for a company or a team that values busy work above actually being productive and getting things done, then this episode is a must listen. And if you are exhausted by the constant disagreements that you have with either your coworkers or frankly, with your spouse or your partner, and you want a simple framework to find common ground and move forwards with purpose, once again, this episode is a must listen. And as a super quick disclaimer, though this conversation was taken from the Fitness and Post archives, I promise this information is still valuable and relevant to all of the challenges that we face today in our post-pandemic working reality. All right, without further ado, my conversation with author and speaker Jason Barger. I'm here today with Jason Barger and you and I have a very unique relationship because we've been working together in the background for years, you somewhat serving as a mentor for me as I've been shepherding my go far film from the embryonic stages to try and developing it into a full educational framework. So this this episode is going to be a little bit off the beaten path because it's not so much targeted at what I usually talk about as far as creative work, but at the same time, we're going to have a lot of stuff to talk about that really applies to team building. So I'm super, super
1: excited to have you here today, Jason. Yeah, great to be with you. Fun to uh, connect and uh, be a part of this.
0: Yeah, so it's it's going to be really fun for you and I to have this conversation outside of the world of Go Far that we've, I think it's been, <laughs> God, what, like three or four years now that you've been helping and collaborating with me on that film, but we've never really had a lengthy conversation that had nothing to do with the movie, yet you and I have so many different things we're doing that align. So I'm, I'm very excited about this conversation just from a personal selfish perspective, but for my audience, I think this is going to be a fantastic conversation to really help people build engaging teams, which is so important in the creative world, but because a lot of people in my industry and similar creative industries chose our living because we hate corporate culture, this is going to be a very fun conversation. I want to jump into thermostat cultures, but I think it's important before we do that to really understand your journey, especially what living in an airport has to do with it, because you have a very unique (laughs) path. So let's kind of start from the the origin story of what got you here today.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, and, and especially if if many people of your audience are creatives and folks that are uh certainly they see their life as one that uh, they love choosing a creative path to create the life that they want then then maybe my story is a bit interesting you know for uh my first job out of college, you know, for 10 years, I was lucky to be uh, directing a big summer camp for kids and then creatively thinking up and mobilizing people to meet needs in the world. And so was lucky to mobilize thousands of people to build 125 houses for families Literally living in the poverty places in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. Started a project serving the homeless living outside of the shelter system in Columbus, Ohio, and so really amazing uh, opportunities and great growth for me for ten years. And then, and then I did what what you referenced a minute ago. I, I quit my job, and uh, which many people around me said, "Are what are you doing? You know, you've got this cool, <laughs> uh, great job, and uh, yet you're quitting." And what is it you're going to do? And, and I went a little bit against the grain, uh, which I think maybe resonates with your audience. And that is that, that uh, from a creative perspective, is I chose to take a risk and dive into creating this book called Step Back from the Baggage Claim, where I spent seven days living in seven different airports without leaving the airports the entire time, uh, from Columbus, Ohio, to Boston, to Miami, to Chicago, to Minneapolis, to Seattle, to San Diego— Seven cities in seven days without leaving the airports and just watching people, watching the way that we human beings are literally moving throughout the world every day. Uh, but then wrote this book that's not about airports, but uses air travel as a metaphor to ask the question and talk about how is it that we, you know, not only literally move throughout the world, but how do we metaphorically? Move throughout the world and how do the way that we lead and interact with people and show up and what is important to us, how does that impact our journey, but then also the space along our path, which then started us, started me on a whole nother path.
0: Now before we go down <laughs> that path further, which we're absolutely going to do, I've always been curious. Why did you choose to do the airport journey over seven days? Because when you read Step Back from the baggage claim, it's I love the observations and how you apply it to life in general. But what is it that really made you decide, I'm going to go live in an airport or seven of them over seven days?
1: (laughs) Yeah, because I'm a strange, weird guy. Um, Yeah, no, and I think uh, in, in all my travels where I was leading these trips, which they were uh, trips that were centered around helping the participants on these trips think about who they want to be in the world and what was important to them, and you know, and it was there was a leadership development kind of component to it. But then we were going to these places where we were building houses and literally like handing a set of keys to a family that was living in the dirt. And all those experiences of traveling around the world, I think the metaphor of travel just became really rich to me, and. To see that, you know, these airports are these places every day where so many people around the world are going different directions, and yet that's where our lives collide. And yet the metaphor being that we're always, you know, the airport is not where we're headed. You know, we're all heading somewhere else. But where our life is in that moment is lived within the airport. And so how we respond when things don't go our way to adversity, to the person that needs our help, to seeing how to enjoy the journey along the way was a really a rich metaphor i think that could be applied to the way that we move throughout the world every day and then certainly Whatever it is you choose to do professionally, uh, began that began to have a very profound effect on people.
0: Well, and it's funny because at the airport, that's usually where you're going to get just about the worst of people because everybody is tired and cranky and stuck in lines, and you're you know that that's going to be the worst of not the worst of, but it's certainly going to be the the lower end of humanity where just nobody cares; they just want to get in and they want to get out.
1: Yeah, it's certainly an environment where, and all of us do this to some degree. Although I, I've tried my best to be more. <laughs> aware of it and try not to be that, especially since I wrote this book. But, uh, you know, it's a place where oftentimes we go a little bit into a shell and we think that we're, you know, we only worry about our experience. And if I can get through this line and I'm in a hurry and I got to catch my plane and, and yet the reality is, is so does everyone else around us. And oftentimes what that leads to, you're right, is heightened stress, heightened anxiety and, and oftentimes it brings out not, not <laughs> the best in us. And yet it's also an environment where then you can see extreme amounts of generosity and care for people. And, you know, I just, I just think that space is a very fascinating space that whether it brings out the worst in us or the best in us, it is an indicator or at least an interesting point of reference to say, if that's the way that I'm moving throughout the world, literally in the airports – Am I carrying that same attitude and spirit and mindset into other areas of my life and my career as well?
0: Yeah, and I love, I love that metaphor. It's actually something that I've talked about extensively when it comes to yoga. I've done a couple of past podcasts with a friend of mine, Allie Hamilton. It's the idea of, you know, however you are on the mat is how you treat yourself and treat others off the mat. And you're using a very similar metaphor just to the airport, which is a very different experience than a yoga class. But, you know, clearly the lesson still applies. So now what I want to do is kind of dig into the meat of your latest book, Thermostat Cultures, because it really, really touches upon something that is so sorely lacking, especially in my industry, but I'm sure in other creative industries, and frankly – just kind of our you know modern society in general. Um, but it's just this idea that there's a lot more to building a team than just hiring a bunch of individuals that are suited for that specific job. Everybody has a task or a project, and that project must be completed by X date. And when you dig into the most successful businesses and corporations or sports teams, because you talk about sports as well, because those are organizations too, or even families, it goes a lot deeper than just we all have a common goal and we need to reach it. So you talk about the six A's and we're going to get into those. But before doing that, I want to step backwards or step back from the thermostat cultures a bit and um, actually talk about the difference between the thermometer and the thermostat. Because if you don't understand those two, it's hard to move forwards.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the central image in the book, at least that that frames up then the ability to talk about this is the reason why it's called thermostat cultures is that, you know, anybody That knows the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat. A thermometer just reads the temperature, right? All it does is react to the temperature around us. And so if there's a giant thermometer on the wall, all it would do is react all day long. And if it got hotter in the room, it would go up. And if it gets cold in the room, it goes down. And it just reacts to the environment around it. Well, a thermostat sets the temperature, regulates the temperature, controls the temperature. And so the difference between the two is, and what I say is that so many individual people, but also leaders and entire teams and organizations in in the culture that we live in today get stuck in thermometer mode. And what I mean by that is that when there isn't clarity around what is the temperature that we're trying to set, not just what we do, but how we're committed to doing it, when there isn't clarity, all we end up doing is reacting. And so, you know, we just go up and down and the temperature goes up on down depending on our mood, depending on who's in the room, depending on how we're feeling that day. And just like the thermometer, we're just very reactionary. Well, but the best, and you reference this, the best teams, the best companies, the best families, the organizations that are compelling and thriving in the world today, are the ones that are operating in thermostat mode. And what I mean by that is they are proactively, not reactively, but proactively, they have clarity around what is the temperature that we're trying to set. So whether it's a family, whether it's a small creative team of three or four people, whether it's a sports team, whether it's an entire Fortune 500 company or a school or classroom, There's clarity around what is the temperature that we're trying to set together, and how do we each play a role in creating that temperature that it's not about just what we do, but it's absolutely about how we do it. It's when that clarity and there's discipline and consistency to to all showing up and trying to create that temperature is what drives us into creating a thermostat culture that's compelling, that's inspiring, and that's successful.
0: Yeah. And this is an idea that really needs to come specifically to the filmmaking industry because the way that it works, at least on my end, and it's different for different companies. If you work for a full-time company, for example, but in what I do for a living, which is a very similar model to what a lot of creatives do in a lot of industries is I get hired on a show or a project. And I'll know, I know that it's probably going to be for six, nine months at a time. I think the longest job I've ever had was a little bit over a year. So And that's very common. A lot of people that I know that work in this industry will maybe get a job for a week, two weeks, four weeks, and basically they come into their first day of the job. Somebody says, here's your workstation. Here's the binder for the lunch menus, and here's the folder with your footage. This is when we'd like to see a first cut. That's it. There's no culture. There's no conversation about our mission. It's just here's your workstation. Here's what needs to be done. And there's no sense of teamwork whatsoever. And when you're on a gigantic show, and I won't name any names, but certainly most people listening know the the stuff that I've worked on. When the you know what starts to hit the fan and there's no clarity around what is the mission of the show, either creatively as storytellers or just is us as a team trying to deliver it, then, like you said, everybody starts to go into reaction mode and go nuts and then things just never get done.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and, and no matter what your industry is and what you just described is perfect, but no matter what your industry is or even when you think about this just through the, the lens of your personal life, when, you know, stuff starts hitting the fan, when we're when we don't have clarity and we're stuck in thermometer mode, what that leads to is finger pointing Blame, judgment, everybody covering their own back rather than because if there isn't clarity or connection to a mission that's greater than ourselves or what we're all in this to try to create together, then what it leads to is a lot of nobody takes personal ownership and everybody covers their own back and and typically blames other people, points the finger somewhere else. And so uh, it's typically very narrow sided. Rather than when there is that clarity, that there is a broader view of how do I play a role in helping to create something that's bigger than me? And instead of pointing the finger with blame, how do I become solution-driven and begin also to see – to take personal ownership over, okay, now what can we together do – for a better outcome.
0: Yeah, and that was always my approach and has been on any project where something does go wrong and inevitably it always will. It's never, who did that? It's more, all right. Let's find out why this happened. Great, so I see that this happened because of that. How can we improve this in the future and fix it with no blame whatsoever? But when I try to take that approach with these larger studios and organizations, the response is, well, we don't have time. Let's just keep going, keep going. We're behind, we're behind. And they just constantly live on the treadmill in the the reaction mode.
1: That's a a symptom, right? That that in the world that we're living in today that is so instantaneous and so fast paced, places everywhere. Uh, we start to buy into this myth that the faster I run, the further I get. And so the, the comment that you just said of we can't take the time, we're on our deadline, you just got to get going, you know, shut up and do your work. We think that we're going to actually be more effective when we do that because we don't have time. Yet there's research and studies and, and things that show us that what that's leading to is this, uh, this belief that busyness equals effectiveness, that if I'm just busy and I'm just doing a bunch of things, that that means I'm effective, when the reality is busyness does not equate to effectiveness, and it's actually the places that do stop, do step back, do take the time. We may not think we have the time, but we're gonna take the time to make sure that we have clarity, have alignment, and in that stepping back, we actually move ourselves forward, and we're more effective. With accomplishing our highest priorities rather than this just incessant rush. Of busyness to try to hurry up and do the next thing.
0: Yeah, and that's something that I will write about and talk about incessantly. I'm surprised that somebody hasn't turned this into a drinking game yet, where I say it's all about working smarter, not working harder. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with Greg McKeown, yeah, um, yeah. but I had had a had a full podcast with him talking about the idea of doing less, but doing it better. And I think the, the important question that I always tell somebody that they need to ask themselves or their team is not, am I doing everything Thing that I need to be doing, it's am I doing the right things? And in order to know if you're doing the right things, you have to step back and you have to assess those things. And that's where I want to go first, is you have the six A process for leading change. And I want to walk people through these steps. So if they're saying, oh my God, yes, this is so the culture that I work in, but nobody wants to listen. If they can come to them with just a really basic framework, somebody might actually want to affect some change. So let's start with the first one, which is assess.
1: Yeah. Well, and let me also say that this is the, the 6A process for leading change is a framework. You know, if, if you're having frustration right now that the place where you work or the, the group that you're a part of, that they don't have that kind of clarity. And, and yes, you're banging your head against the wall of helping them have a framework so that they can have language that will bring people together. Um, you individually can start by thinking, how can these 6As, and how can you begin to set the temperature with the people that you have control over? And that's really the idea behind this. And so that the idea between the 6A pr- process for leading change is that, that if you've never taken the time to think about how you lead change or how does a culture proactively get built, that it, it's a process. It's not a drive-through experience. And so it takes time. And the first A is to assess is to step back, and again, in the culture we're in, our first instinct is we have to hurry up and race forward. And yet, what I talk about is that the first step in this process is to identify where is your point A. And so often times, in any kind of change initiative, again, whether this is change that you're wishing to see only for your personal life, or for a group that you're working with, it starts with, can you be honest with Where are we currently on the map? Where where am I? Where are we at point A? What's going well? What, what's not going well? What are our opportunities? What are our challenges? Let's name and understand where are we. We have to be able to assess where we currently are before. We start dreaming about where we want to go
0: and that's something that i talk about extensively in my programs is this idea that you have to establish your baseline you can't just you can't say well i want to be more active or i want to eat better or like make all these changes it's like you need to stop slow down let's just assess for a couple of weeks where you are now don't make any drastic changes just find out how many steps do you get per day what kind of food are you eating? What are the choices that you're making? Now you've established this baseline. Let's move forwards from there. And you're just applying that same idea more to corporate or individual culture.
1: Yeah, and it's really, it's it's about a change initiative and no matter what it is, if you're thinking about it through the lens of a, of a, a diet plan or an exercise or fitness plan or your own personal goals that you're setting for yourself and your career, it, uh, the point is that, you When we don't ever take time to step back and think about what is the process, a framework that will really lead in me to the change that I want, typically what we do in this culture is we start racing to the end point and we start, I want to lose a bunch of weight. And so we start racing in this path without stepping back to say, okay, hold on a second. Well, where am I actually? What do I weigh now? What is It It may not be realistic for me to run a marathon next week. So let, let, me, let me hold on, assess where am I? What is my current level of fitness? What is it that I'm currently able to do? What are, what, are, what are the things that I'm are going well and what are the challenges that I have? And if I can't accurately define where I am, then it doesn't really matter yet where I'm trying to go. And so the common, the most, well, I say to, to teams and organizations of all kind in any kind of visioning process is the most common mistake in any visioning is not that we can't describe what we want point Z to look like, you know, the end of our journey, the dream that we have for somewhere down the road. We're often pretty good at doing that, but the most common misstep is that we don't take the time to identify where point A actually is.
0: mat so uh you and i my friend one edit station at a time are going to change the world
1: i like it that's a utopian vision i can get
0: on board with if you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active energetic and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation i can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you which is why i continue to share the topo mat as my number one product recommendation To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash Topo. That's T-O-P-O. So if we're going to look at this and we're going to really dig in and assess, and I agree with you that even in my industry, it's like we're going to release this film and it's going to be in 3,000 theaters and we're going to have a release of $100 million on opening weekend. Like that's point Z. That's the vision Okay, great. So we're writing the script today. What, like, what, what is our actual process going to be? So if we're gonna be assessing, like, I'm, I'm just gonna use kind of my, my, the most common environment that I'm in as an example. Where I come onto a new show, it's gonna be six to nine months, and I want to kind of get an assessment of how things are going. What are some very concrete things I can look at? Like if if we're going back to the fitness analogy, I'm looking at my weight, I'm looking at my caloric intake. What are some very specific things I can start assessing right away when we're looking at it through this lens? If I'm coming into um, a new job where I know I'm going to be on a project with brand new people because you're always um, working with different people, what are just some of those very clear benchmark assessments that would be akin to like calories
1: or weight or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, oftentimes when a a new group is pulled together for a project or, you know, uh, you're on a new team of some sort and you know, a, a sales team of some sort. And immediately what they start talking about is what are their year end goals? Right. And they, they, they start talking about these arbitrary numbers of, Hey, here's, here are our end of the year goals. You know, here's the numbers you got to hit each month, yada, 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 yada. And, and oftentimes we start, everybody starts running, right. And everybody hits the streets and everybody starts doing their work or, you know, which is similar to, okay, now you go back to your cubicle and you're editing film or you're cutting tape or you're doing whatever it is you do and you're in the grind, right? Hurry up and do it. you got to hit the numbers. we got a deadline coming. But oftentimes we don't give people the, the time to assess and say, okay, well, why is our number that? How did we get to that number? What is it that we did last year? What is it we did last month? What is it that went into getting that number last month? Why is it that we've put that goal to be that? Is there a way that we could actually be more effective where we were last year so that the goal could be something different next year? And oftentimes when we're in that repetitive pattern, we're, we're so looking out you know, ahead that we don't take the time to actually say, okay, well, what is it that we're going to do right now? So the best places are the ones that pause and, the, and, and assess, okay, this is where we were last year. And this is what went well, and this is where we fell on our face. And this is where it didn't work out for us, and this is why we think it didn't. You know, the, the the teams that are in the habit of doing that debrief after a project of not just what went well but what didn't go well, those are the ones that are able to assess so that then they're able to move forward.
0: Yeah, and I could not – overemphasize that enough. And I think that the the key benchmark that makes the most sense in this analogy would be deadlines and schedules. Um, because when I'm brought into a project, or anyone else in my industry is brought on, you're brought in one day before everything goes nuts. So you, if let's say that they start shooting a project on a Monday, that means you're going to get your raw footage on Tuesday morning. So they say, well, we're going to give you a day to come in and set up your desk and hang your pictures and set up your email address, and then Tuesday morning, like you said, you're off and running. But I've always lobbied for, and I never get this where I say, listen, bring me on a couple of days early, let me sit, speak with the producers, go over. The the schedule in the calendar, because never have I come to a show where I've said, oh, yeah, this calendar makes sense and we can totally hit these, these deadlines. They're always ridiculously overestimating the amount of time that they think they're going to be able to deliver this. So they say, oh, yeah, no, we're going to be on the air at this time. We'll be fine. And then inevitably, two months down the road, all these things are converging. Everybody's way behind. There's massive amounts of overtime. And I hate to be that guy, but I'm like, yeah, we kind of saw this coming, um, but nobody wanted to talk about it. And I think that's one of the biggest areas, at least that I've seen over and over is this lack of assessment for schedule and what the individual employees are going to be put through as far as their lifestyle. I mean, that's what my entire program was all about is trying to find work-life balance in the hectic craziness of doing creative jobs. Um, so if there's anything that you're really looking to assess when you come on to a new project, do the debrief about the schedules. Ask everybody, is this realistic? Can we hit these marks? Where are the pain points? Where are the bottlenecks? And can we anticipate? And then after a season of a show, have that debrief. Because I've begged and pleaded with people to say, listen, can we just have a meeting to talk about everything that didn't work so when we go to next season we can fix it? And of course, what does everybody say? Well, it's the end of the season. We don't have time. We're all going to go on our vacations. And then it's just a hamster wheel.
1: Well, and what I'll say is that the the most effective cultures are the ones that where the people involved are, it's not being dictated only from above, that there is, especially in the culture we're evolving into now, where we are co-creating together to say, how do we produce the best product? And so if you're the one editing that I ought to pick your brain and be interested in is this timeline realistic? Uh, to use a couple other examples. my brother is in the construction business and if you sit and listen to him, the single most important element of every job they do across the country with these huge job construction jobs that they do is in the estimating. It starts with is there assessment of what it's going to take to do the job? Is it accurate? And if they miss on their estimation and their assessment from the front end, then inevitably what that in leads to is missed deadlines, uh, you know, uh, budgets, uh, everything falls apart. And so when they take the time to assess on the front end, everything is more effective uh, down the road. It's the same, you know, another example outside of a work situation, but it's it's the person that that uh, knows Christmas is coming, right? It's the it's the the housewife who knows Christmas is coming, but yet is frantic, you know uh, December 22nd. And yet if there was a better uh, opportunity for them, the ones that that enter that and navigate their way through that, oftentimes, do a better job of pre-planning and assessing, okay, I know what happens December 24th. And so what is it that I need to do? And how do I assess where we are? What's the plan of attack going to be leading up to that so that I don't get to the 24th and I'm crazy and pulling my hair out. It's the same thing on a personal level as it is on on a, on a professional level.
0: Yeah. And I've, I've, I've seen that exact mindset where it's the the night before you're airing the season finale of a show and everybody's losing their minds. It's like, guys, this all could have been prevented. Like it's serious. This really all could have been prevented. And we all saw it day one, but it's everybody has these, these blueprints. Well, this is how we do it. This is our schedule for every show. And they're never assessing, Oh, maybe this needs to be different for this type of show. Um, but where I want to go next is, to probably what I would consider my favorite word in the English language, which is why. Why is a question that I ask like I'm three years old of everything, and I dig in deeper and deeper as to why something happens, why something works the way that it does, which brings us to the second step of this process, which is align.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't know how anything special ever happens when we don't understand why it is that we're doing it. You know, in the book, I talk about how oftentimes we have it backwards. We work from the outside in, which means we think about the what, and then eventually maybe we'll consider the how, and very rarely do we get to the center, which is why are we even doing this? And yet the most effective teams and organizations in the world and individual people are the ones that start from the inside out. They ask the question of, wait, why are we doing this? And so on, on the example that you can come back to is, is starting the creative process of, of a show. You know, wh- why is this show being created and what is it that we're trying to accomplish in our creative collaboration here? When there isn't a clarity around why do we do it and the purpose and the mission, something significant gets lost and eventually that falls apart. And so. After we assess where we are, we have to align. And aligning is about bringing human beings together. The most compelling and effective groups in the world are the ones that align people's minds and hearts in the purpose of what it is that we're doing.
0: What I can tell you, coming back to our analogy again, is that the why is the same for every single project, which is. We're doing this so we can get the maximum number of eyeballs watching this so we can make money on advertising. And to me, that's not a why. Like that's, that's a what. The why is you're trying to share this story to inspire this audience to do X, Y, and Z. Whatever it is, you, you need to find the heart and the emotion behind what it is. And that just doesn't apply to filmmakers or creative people like you have come back to. That can be a personal thing. That can be an emotional thing. It can have to do with the relationship that you want with your spouse or with your kids. It's like, why is it that we're doing these things is such an important question if you're ever gonna actually achieve what you want to and hit that point Z.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That uh, you know, the, you think about some of the most iconic examples in the world. That the why, you know, if you ask Steve Jobs, you know, why was Apple created or why was it becoming successful? It wasn't about the computer. The why was bringing technology and design to the fingertips of everyday life of helping people's experience in the world and access for information. It wasn't about just selling a product. It was about creating and untapping that ability that people could have in, in, and hold in their hand. Uh, you know, Howard Bihar, the former president of Starbucks, is a, is, a, is a mentor and a great friend of mine that, that's been supportive along my journey to all the, the, that I have going on. And he'll tell you from the beginning of Starbucks, You know, when nobody knew anything about Starbucks until then, he and his team grew it to 15,000 stores around the world, that it wasn't about the coffee. The coffee was the product yet, but they were really clear from the very beginning is this wasn't, they weren't just creating a coffee shop. They were creating an experience. And so their why was they wanted to bring people together from the community so that people could come together and have the greatest conversation in their life. And oh, by the way, we're going to sell coffee. And so all of a sudden the experience from the way that they you know set up the seating in the restaurant to the little messages on the cup to the music in the background to the way that the barista welcomed you when you entered. that There were plenty of other places you could come get a cup of coffee, but they create an experience that people wanted to be a part of. That was the why, not the what.
0: Well, and a perfect example of that specifically is look at Dunkin' Donuts versus Starbucks. Anybody that really is a a coffee lover will say, well, Dunkin' Donuts is the best coffee I've ever had. It's amazing. But you don't see the type of culture and the type of people at a Dunkin' Donuts because there you go up, you order, they hand you something and you leave. And it's not an experience.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, if you've ever been to uh, Pike's Place Market out in Seattle, you know, which is just around the corner from the very first Starbucks that was ever... Started right in Seattle, uh, Pike's Place Market. You know the f- famous fish market where, if you've seen the people, the big fish mongers is what they call them. That they grat, you know, the the fish comes in off the boats and literally these fresh fish are thrown up and these these big guys, you know, the fish mongers, they take. The, the fish and they throw them, you know, to, to each other and crowds come from all over to come to Pike's place fish market to see this. And they crowd around to watch these guys throw these fish because they're having fun. They're making a, you know, a game out of it. And yet the reality is, and, and people stand in line to see it and then buy from Pike's place fish market. And yet, if you've ever been there, you'll notice there are fish markets On either side of Pike's Place, like multiple places where you can get the exact same fish out of the exact same waters, and yet people will stand in line to go to the Pike Place fish market. Because of the experience they create.
0: So now we've gone through. We've assessed the current culture that we have. We've we found our point A, and we've started talking about aligning everybody around this specific why. So it's not just here's our goal. Here's what we need to achieve. It's here's the deeper reason why this is important to all of us, and this is going to keep us moving. So now we're going to start to aspire to something. So let's talk a little bit about that step.
1: Yeah. So you know, once you've you've got your point A, and once you start bringing people. Together and aligning them around are, are, are we into this and are we buying into the why we're even doing this in the first place? Then we can begin to aspire. And that is now we can begin to look out the windshield, you know, not the rear view mirror, but we can look out the windshield and say, Well, where is it that we desire to go? And, and when we're talking about building the culture of a group of people, whether that's your, your family or your team or your company, to ask the question of what is the, the culture that we desire? If we had to try to, to think about not just where we are, but what is it that we want to be different about what we experience, not just what we do, but how we do it, what do we want? What is that culture that we desire? And so when you think about companies that, that are known for their culture or teams that have been most effective, sports teams over time, or that family that you've watched that you me, man, they just have a cool family, chances are- that they they have had clarity at some point where they've said, no, 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 this is what we proactively are trying to create together. And so they have a vision of what they aspire to be. And this is
0: something that I can really speak to from the personal level. It's it's harder to talk about when it comes to the the business side of things, because usually I'm just coming into an already existing project or culture, and it's harder to really have those personal aspirations. But when we bring this into the personal sphere, this will be like really personal sharing this. And frankly, most of my audience knows more about me than my wife does at this point. Um, But basically my wife and I have gone through a very similar process where when we had our two kids who are now seven and four and a half, we were just running in circles, trying to survive. You try and get the kids up, you put the diapers on, you get them to school. And we completely lost sense of who we were as a family. And I finally said, I know that there's a lot going on, but we just need to start having these deeper conversations about what what is this family? What do we really want it to be? And what what experience do we want to give our children? And once she and I kind of got through some, because with any Marriage, no matter how healthy it is, when you have two kids, it is hard to maintain a healthy relationship. And I mean, it's it's anybody listening to this that has kids they are just nodding their heads emphatically right now. Um, but once, and, and I went to this uh, this conference, and they were talking about this amongst many other things. But um, on the board, the person speaking just put up one word, and it was attention. And it was, are you giving these things that are important to you attention? I was like, nope. That's the problem. So once we started to give it attention and decide what is it that we aspire to be as a family, Everything started to change. Everything. And that's also happened in my professional life, too, where I said, What is it that I really aspire to be as a professional? And that has changed the course of my career because I've been very clear about these are the types of jobs that mean something to me that are worth giving 70 hours of my week to, as opposed to, Oh, this is just a paycheck. And that's all about aspiring. And I love one of the, the analogies you brought up. I'm um, kind of going back to the sports analogy with Coach K, who I I think, isn't he the winningest coach like in the history of any sport ever, but especially in college
1: basketball? Yeah, he's certainly in the modern era. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And he said when he brings his, his team together, and I will let you go through this further, but he says, we don't have rules. We have standards that we decide on together. And this is such an important process. So can you kind of talk about that a little bit more?
1: Yeah, he does it with every team, you know, even if he has the exact same team back this year that he had last year. Uh, which is again a great reminder to those of us that are building that family, or building that team, or 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 continuing that culture with our company or organization, wherever we may be. But he gathers them again, and he says, "All right, well, what are our standards for this year? What are what are our standards for being on this team?" And he he very specifically draws the distinction between rules and standard. He says we don't have rules on this team. There are no rules where rules are somebody else's you know, expectations that they're placing on you. I don't have rules, but what I do have and what we do have are standards. Now, what do you want our standards to be? And every year there's a a proactive process that they go where it's uh, engaging the minds and hearts of the players on their team to, to say, here's what I want the standards for the team to be. This is not just what we do. We're not just a basketball team. This is how we're committed to doing it. And, and together, they create the standards for what they want. That, you know, this is the way they're, they're, they're taking time to say, what, are we, what kind of team do we aspire to be? And then from the aspiring, the next part of it is to articulate, which these two are so closely linked that once you, can, you aspire to say, here's the temperature we're trying to set, then you have to be able to articulate that. So from, from Coach K asking that of the players, then they have to be able to find language Because language helps drive behavior. And so for that word that you just used a second ago, to be able to say we need attention, what is it that we're going to give attention to? All of a sudden, that language drives a behavior in you. And so for his teams, they identified language that would say, okay, this is the temperature we're trying to set. These are our standards. And now they could hold each other accountable to those standards and say, are we living up to those or are we not? If this is the temperature we're trying to set, then we're going to be really clear on what it looks like when this goes well. And we've got to be able to articulate. That's the next day. We have to be able to articulate what what this looks like in action and behavior so that we can bring our aspirations to life.
0: That's optimize yourself.me slash QOR360. Well, this, if if I were to choose one of the six A's where I could pull off an entire spin-off hour-long show that applies to my industry, it would be articulate. What I want you to bring up, if you're comfortable with it, because it's in the book, I'm going to assume you are, is your own personal anecdote with an area of your life where this articulation didn't happen and a life was literally at stake, because this is the perfect analogy to how my industry runs every single day.
1: Yeah, you know, the last few years of my life uh, with my parents' health has not been, been great. And I lost my mom to cancer uh, almost two years ago, uh, brain cancer. And at the same time, my dad, uh, for about five-year period, these last five years, has been in and out of the hospital with kind of everything known to man. And so – Unfortunately, we got very used to to culture within hospitals and being in there and and the team of doctors coming in and out and, and, and you never quite knowing what was going on. And so how you articulate and tell the story for where you are in the journey and where you're going is really important. And so we got in the habit of You know, when you'd see a doctor come into his hospital room, you'd follow in because you you wanted to make sure you were there because oftentimes the person in the hospital bed doesn't remember what the doctor told them. So they need other people to be there to help understand what the story is. And so this one day I followed this team of doctors into my dad's hospital room and there was about six or seven docs that were all there and they were doing their normal poking and prodding of him and listening to his pulse and asking him what his birth date is and and looking at him and whispering to each other. And I usually would just stay back in the back of the room and I'd let them do their thing. And then after a few minutes, I got in the habit of asking two questions. I would step forward and I would say, hello, my name's Jason, I'm his son. And, you know, I would just want to know, can you can you explain to me where are we right now? You know where where is our point A? Can you tell me? Can you assess for me where how is my dad doing now? And then can you tell me what the game plan is? What is it that that you're suggesting we do next? And why are we doing it? So just those two questions. And so I got in the habit of asking those. And in this particular time, they looked at, they all looked at each other and, and the lead doc she stepped forward and she said, um, yeah, you know, uh, I want to tell you, I, we think your dad's doing a little better. Uh, we, we, we think he's, he, he's, he's having a little bit of, of, of progress. Um, but the, the, the situation is we can't seem to get his heart slowed down. And so what we think is needed next is we need to put a pacemaker in, we need to do a procedure, a surgery to put a pacemaker in to slow his heart down. We think that's the next step. And I paused for a second. And mostly because I was trying to figure out what to say. And then finally I stepped forward and said, yes, thank you, but my father just had that procedure done this morning. So could you please now tell me where are we? How's he doing? And what the next plan of attack is? That this was a clear example of when the story is not communicated, when it, the, when they, you're not able to articulate with clarity, with accuracy, and when it's not connected to the overall mission of why you're trying to do what you're doing, it fails dramatically. And in this moment, not one of the doctors had taken the time to check his chart not one of them had assessed what had already been happened and what of the other doctors already done that they all came into the room and blew right past that and didn't even notice that he had already had the surgery. And so their message was not clear. It was not accurate. It was not connected.
0: First of all, I'm sorry that you had to go through that, but I would pay good money to have seen the look on the doctor's face when you said that. I just, I can't imagine how embarrassed they must have been when you're like, yes, he just had that procedure. Thank you.
1: Yeah, it it was, um, you could have heard a pin drop in the entire hospital, it seemed like. I mean, the room went silent and they all kind of put their heads down. and, And, you know, and I choose to believe they're all, Obviously, good people and, and experts in what they do, and and that this was a miss. Um, but in this situation, and again, this is the culture that they were creating in the work that they do every single day. That they had an opportunity with a patient and the family in the room to give a different experience and create a culture of collaboration and and honoring the expertise that they were bringing. And instead, when they missed those steps of not even assessing and certainly not aligning and then not able to articulate, uh, the entire experience fell apart. And I can tell you that the look on their face (laughs) was embarrassment, was uh, they felt awful. And, and they kind of walked out of the room with their tail tucked between their legs.
0: Well, the learning experience that I really take from something like this, and I think is so important for other people to realize, is your immediate reaction is to think, well, how dumb is this doctor? Like, come on. But this has nothing to do with the individuals. This is a problem with the system. The system that they have set up is broken. And the same thing happens in my industry. And the reason I wanted to bring this up is that even though lives aren't at stake, although if you ask any producer or executive, they'll treat you like lives are. At stake, but there will be things that happen every day where you'll deliver a file or whatever the the task might be, and all of a sudden you do these things. They're like, But wait, we need this, we need that. You're like, Yes, I did that four hours ago, and you received an email and a follow up text message. And it's everybody wants to blame the individual, but nobody, again, going back to this analogy, nobody's stepping back and saying, Wait why did this happen? This is a systemic issue. It's happening every day, but instead it's all about, well, it's your fault because you did this thing wrong and you didn't follow directions. It's like, no, it's the system driving the machine. It's not the individuals. I'm sure this was a brilliant doctor, but whatever their, her or his daily habits were, didn't lead them to the right outcome.
1: And that's why, you know, the simplicity of the framework um doesn't uh, is meant to be something that we can all learn from and and remember and then to ex, you know uh, it needs to be accessible so that we can follow it but that doesn't mean it's simple it's need to be simple to remember but the problem is that we don't follow it and again when we're in a culture that's more busy than effective we come running into the room and, again, expert doctor that I, I choose to believe they mean the, the best, but they missed some important steps along the way that caused them to not be effective. And we as human beings and in every team and organization in the world right now are doing that every single
0: Exactly. And this is going to bring us to the next A, which is ACT, um, which is something that I focus on intently. I'm always talking about next actions. Every one of these episodes has an action step. Every lesson in my online course has an action step. This is really the foundation of all of it. And If the the actions that have been taken had been different, like you said, the outcome would have been different. And one thing that I loved in your book that you mentioned that I've talked about incessantly, and this could also be a drinking game, is the checklist, the checklist manifesto. This was a game changer for me. And I built an entire online learning course all about how to use the program Trello to develop checklists so you can outsource your, your automated and repetitive tasks in the checklist so you can have the room in your brain for creativity. But you can do these other four steps, but if you don't actually take action on the steps, you're still spinning in the same circle.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, all of this, you know, every speech I give, every workshop that I lead or every organization that that I consult with over time is all of it. I talk about having a bias toward action. And now you've heard me speaking already. So you understand that what I don't mean is a bias towards busyness, that I'm not saying just come up with some action just to have an action. Once we assess, once we align, once we aspire and we get clear on what we want to be different, and then we're able to articulate that, now it's time to put it to action and say, okay, what with not busyness, but intentional action, what specifically and tactically and strategically are we going to do to put things into practice so that we bring this vision to life? And so the checklist uh, and I tell some some cool stories about that in in the book. Uh, it really reveals this idea that when we're left to our own memory, even when we are the expert in what we do, in the world that we live in today, when we're we're left to our own memory to try to keep track of everything, we forget. Flaws are rampant. And there's all kinds of, of studies that will show us. So that, that doctor example, a story I just told is one of them, that when we, we think we can just organize it all ourselves, all on our own and in our own head, flaws are rampant. And so what is that checklist? And the checklist manifesto is about what are those few non-negotiable things that every day I can't afford to forget? What are those things that I have to put into place so that I walk that process? And what are the actions that I'm gonna put into place so that I can bring my vision to life.
0: And this is another step where, again, I could do an entire hour-long podcast about how to develop a macro goal, break it into micro goals. These are all things that you talk about extensively. I talk about it extensively. I mean, this I could geek out on actions for days, but I certainly want to be respective of your time. So I want to go to this final step, which is anchor, because you can go through these first five steps, but you got to make it stick. Whether you're talking about habit formation, whether you're talking about your culture, whether you're talking about exposure of your employees. Employees to a message that allows them to understand what you aspire to and what their why is. So let's talk a little bit more about how do we anchor all of this and make sure it sticks.
1: Yeah, once we do all these actions and we get strategic about the checklist and what we need to put into action, then the key is we have to go to the last A, which is to anchor it, meaning we don't just do these actions one time. And so, when you talk about building a culture with human beings, or creating the habits in your own practice individually, that we can't just do actions one times. We have to do them and anchor them so that they become habits in what we do. And so, this is why I talk about that the six A process for leading change. It's not a drive-through experience. It is, in fact, when I in speeches and when I'm visually showing it. To people in those six A's, there's always arrows going in both directions because it's really a circular framework that once you then anchor, which means you say, All right, not only am I going to do this action next week, if I'm trying to run a marathon, not only am I going to run on Wednesday, but I'm going to run, you know, this, this, and this. I'm going to anchor this behavior over a longer period of time so that it becomes a habit and it just becomes what I do. That when we're building a culture, we have to, to realize that it never stops, that culture is dynamic. It's, it's changing moment by moment every day by the way we think, act, and interact. And so we have to realize that we have to, over time, anchor actions and behaviors and thoughts into the culture that we're trying to create.
0: Yeah, and this is just exactly the idea that I will talk about in my courses as well, is that you really have to, like, for example, my focus and my why is all about figuring out how can you move more throughout the day so you can generate more creativity, more energy, be more productive, and actually have passion for what you do. That would be the why, which then generates the actions, which are doing these different things. But if you don't anchor it and you don't build this habit, it you don't become somebody who says, I'm going to move more, or I'm somebody who's going to produce my show or my feature film or whatever it is for the right reasons, because I want to affect this type of person. So again, like you said, you can do everything once, you can do everything twice, but if you don't constantly reassess that process and go through this whole cycle on a regular basis, nothing's going to stick.
1: Yeah, right. Absolutely. And so I, I have teams and organizations that we're, you know, we're, we're working, this 6A process over time of now saying, okay, now let's assess where are we now? All right. Are we aligned? Where do we aspire to be next? All right. How do we articulate that? All right. What are the next actions that we've got to put in place to keep this moving? And and how are we going to anchor it over time so that this isn't just a one-time discussion? And that process and that framework becomes an ethic of just the way that we move throughout the world. And then Somebody five years down the road looks back and says, oh, yeah, they got a great culture. That family's great. That team, they're so connected. They're so aligned with what they're doing. Man, it's amazing how that's such a cool company to work for. It's like, I wonder how they did that. Well, when you peel it back, it's because for the last five years, there were very intentional actions thinking, acting, and interacting that took place to create the culture that they ended up experiencing today.
0: Yep. And I could not agree with all that more. And this is something that my industry and many creative industries that I'm exposed to now are desperately seeking because we're so caught up in the amount that needs to be delivered in such little time and it's all about the tasks it's all about the delivery and not stepping back to assess these things so uh, if somebody wanted to go deeper with this whether it's an individual or a team leader this is equally applicable to both if they want to go deeper and they want to learn more about you and they want to get more involved how can they do so
1: yeah if you if you just go to jasonvbarger.com so Jason then V as in Victor, Barger, dot com. Uh, you'll learn all kinds of stuff. You can see a bunch of videos and uh, information, certainly about books and that kind of stuff, but that can be your, your starting point. And then uh, if you're into Twitter, at Jason V. Barger, or Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, all those kind of normal places, if you're into that, uh, you can track me down in any of those spots. But Uh, jasonvbarger.com is the first place to connect.
0: Well, as always, it is a tremendous pleasure to have a conversation with you, whether recorded or otherwise. You've been a tremendous (laughs) influence on my journey, the person that I become and the work that I'm doing. So I am so appreciative to have you here today and have your time and attention.
1: Hey man, it's always great to talk with you and I love what you're doing. So uh, keep in touch and uh, hope uh, people enjoy listening to this. Awesome, well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, man
0: Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I wanna make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even gonna send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.